If you live according to the flesh, you shall die. But if by the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Words from today's epistle of St. Paul. Our society is so corrupt that many good people, in fact, many traditional Catholics, are almost completely confused when it comes to a clear understanding of the Sixth and Ninth Commandments. We've certainly talked about all this before, but in our day and age, this topic needs to be periodically reviewed, and so it's that time again. We'll start by talking about the creative power briefly. Just consider all the babies here today, and we're thankful to their parents. Think about these babies. Monsignor Smith pointed out once, a career, a bridge, a bank, a building, a book, all these things that are great things in themselves, all these things will crumble into dust one day. A whole universe is grinding down to an end, but a baby, a baby is immortal. Civilizations come and go. They crumble into dust and they just blow away. But a baby has an eternal destiny. A baby will live forever. This universe comes to an end, but that baby will live on. That ought to give us pause to think about the power, the incredible, awesome power. Think of what God's first blessing was on man. Be fruitful and multiply. That's God's first blessing given to mankind. And God has given this incredible power to man and woman together. They're the joint custodians of an absolutely incredible power. The power of cooperating with God in bringing other men, other immortal beings into existence. This creative power makes man and woman godlike. They're godlike. We've talked about it before, but let's just stop and consider the amazing fact that, oh, God could have continued making men, just like he made the first one, from scratch, just taking some slime and breathing into it the breath of life. Although he could have continued doing that, he didn't. Instead, God shared some of his creative power by blessing man and woman and making them the joint guardians of this incredible holy power of cooperating with him and bringing forth new immortal beings, babies. And precisely because of this power of bringing forth new immortal beings, little babies, is so incredible, so important, and so holy, God has protected that creative power by wrapping it up with purity and modesty and then commanded that that power only be used within the boundaries of a very special and blessed state of life. A state of life so blessed that in the case of a baptized man or woman, God has raised this to the level of a sacrament, holy matrimony. The primary purpose of holy matrimony, this blessed state of life, is the procreation and education of these immortal beings we call children. It's God's plan that babies not only be brought into the world inside a family, but also brought up in the world inside a family. The point is 
as that this power to bring forth new life is a holy power and it must be carefully shielded with modest and pure behavior. And it's God's special gift and it's meant by Him to be used by married couples and by married couples alone. This point was made very clear by Pope Pius XI in his encyclical on Christian marriage. Quote, the primary end of marriage is the procreation and the education of children. Since the duty entrusted to parents is of such high dignity and of such great importance, every use of the faculty given by God for the procreation of new life is the right and the privilege of the married state alone and must be confined absolutely within the sacred limits of that state, close quote, the Vicar of Christ. Repeat that. The primary end of marriage is a procreation and education of children. The duty entrusted to parents is of such high dignity and of such great importance that every use of the great creative power is the right and privilege of married people alone and must be confined absolutely within the sacred limits of the state of marriage. It's critical for every one of us to firmly grasp this point. This is where a large part of the war is being fought right now. Our enemies from the culture of death are using television, movies, videos, popular music, so-called clothing fashions, the internet, magazines, public schools, every single one of their weapons of mass destruction to constantly blast away at this idea. Every one of us needs to burn into our mind that the great creative power is something holy. And once we see that clearly, it's easy to understand the sixth and ninth commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery, and thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. On the one hand, these two commands require each man to preserve purity of his mind and body by regulating the great creative power in accordance with reason and our holy faith. And on the other hand, they prohibit him from sinning against chastity in thought, word, or deed. Let's briefly consider how these commandments apply both to the married and the unmarried. The married. As we know, the primary purpose of marriage is a procreation education of children. The secondary purpose of marriage has two kind of aspects, the mutual help and comfort of the spouses and the remedy for concupiscence. It's one thing we just break into two. Acts between spouses are good to a degree. They conform to these two purposes of marriage. The general principle, everything in conformity to these two purposes, primary and secondary purpose of marriage, is good, permissible, anything opposed to them is evil and forbidden. Specific examples of evil and forbidden acts would include adultery, contraception, and direct sterilization. The unmarried, in order to preserve modesty and not corrupt the innocent, will consider only one sin. And once we understand this, we understand all the other possibilities. While speaking about the unmarried, Pope Alexander VII condemned the idea that it is only a venial sin for the unmarried to kiss for the sensual pleasure arising from a kiss, even if there's no danger of further consent and of going even farther. It's condemned to say that it is only a venial sin for the unmarried to deliberately kiss for the pleasure of kissing. This is a condemned 
moral error to say that it's only a venial sin for the unmarried to kiss for the sensual pleasure arising from a kiss even if there's no danger of further consent or going farther it's condemned what does that mean saint alphonsus explains quote this means that every time someone with sufficient reflection and full consent of the will delights in carnal or sensual pleasure associated with someone to whom he is not married he commits a mortal sin this is not only true with kisses but also with respect to other touches performed for carnal pleasure the reason is that any delight taken in carnal pleasure that is to say any delight taken in stirring up the appetites which surround the creative power is a movement towards the marital act close quote the doctrine of moral theology of the universal church every time someone with sufficient reflection full consent of the will delights in carnal or sensual pleasure associated with someone to whom he is not married he commits a mortal sin the reason is that any delight taken in stirring up the appetites which surround the great creative power is a movement towards a marital act that's completely reserved to the married here's the point for the unmarried passionate kissing is mortally sinful why because it's passionate the unmarried do not have the right to deliberately stir up those passions whether by thought by word or by deed those passions those delights those pleasures are reserved strictly for the married by god the reserved strictly for the married and no one else now once we understand that we don't need to go through a great big long laundry list of what things are okay and what things aren't okay for the unmarried passionate kissing is morally sinful because the unmarried do not have the right to deliberately stir up those passions whether by thought word or deed now when this topic comes up and people discover that passionate kissing is the privilege of the married and a mortal sin for the unmarried there are usually a number of people that get very panicked inside before we go any farther a little reminder to anybody that might be in that state in order to commit a mortal sin you had to know it was seriously wrong so if this is news to you relax you didn't know that before so be at peace you're safe but go and sin no more if you're still unmarried if it happened before you're married it's a done deal you didn't know any better now you do but it's my job as a priest to make sure everybody knows exactly where the boundaries are i'm in sales not management i don't make this stuff up it comes from god and we have the pope's word on it okay now that we see the problem with passionate kissing here's the basic moral principle it applies to all thoughts all words and all deeds all pleasure outside marriage that is associated with a creative power all of that type of pleasure that is directly willed or desired intentionally procured or permitted is a mortal sin therefore it is mortally sinful for the unmarried to think say or do anything with the intention of arousing even the smallest degree of this type of sensual pleasure now over the years we've talked about this with respect to modest glances we'll just have a quick review remember this applies to all thoughts all words all deeds so let's take the case of a glance which stirs up lust or is a near occasion of that okay we're talking about a glance which stirs up lust or is a near occasion doing that now we're not talking about spouses here this is 
not, not what we're talking about. Okay, so if there's no intention to glance, accidental, there's no consent to any pleasure stirred up, there's no sin. No intention, no consent, no sin. If there's no intention but some faint consent before the person realizes what's going on and rejects it, what the moralists call semi-deliberate venial, semi-deliberate uh, consent, that's a venial sin. So no intention, faint consent, venial sin. If there's no intention, full consent, hey, all right, that's a mortal sin. If there's a direct intention, I am going to look through this bad book, mortal sin, okay? So there's a little chart we can memorize, all right? No intention, no consent, no sin. No intention, faint or some consent, venial sin. No intention, full consent, mortal sin. Direct intention, mortal sin. No intention, no consent, no sin. No intention, some consent, venial sin. No intention, full consent, mortal sin. Direct intention, mortal sin. Okay, all pleasure outside marriage that is associated with the creative power. All that type of pleasure that's directly willed or desired, intentionally procured or permitted, is a mortal sin. Now before we close, let's deal with a few very typical objections. But Father, everybody does this. Now there's a convincing argument. Try it out on Mom and then come back and let me know how that one works. Father, what if we really like each other? Presumably, people don't passionately kiss people they don't like. Father, we're already engaged. All the more reason to be careful. You're still not married, and at least traditionally, honeymoons are after the marriage. Father, are you saying we can't kiss at all? No, of course not. Unmarried people can kiss. It's not necessarily a good idea. They certainly don't have to, but they can. They can? Yes. The kisses allowed to unmarried people are just like those kisses you might give to great-grandpa or great-grandma, little peck on the cheek kind of thing. That's it. No passion allowed. Father, no one can live like this. Well, naturally speaking, there may be some truth to that. But God never commands the impossible. That's why he gives us supernatural powers, sanctifying and actual graces. What do we have to do? We have to avoid the near occasions of sin. Say the three Hail Marys every morning and night for holiness and purity according to our state and life. Say the rosary every day. Go to confession every week or so and make fervent communions. And you can live like this. That's just what St. Paul is telling us in today's epistle. If you live according to flesh, you shall die. But if you mortify, by the, by the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. Let's review. Today we briefly considered the sixth and the ninth commandments. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. We've seen that the power to bring forth new life is a holy power which God expects us to shield very carefully with modest and pure behavior. We've seen this power as God's special gift, which is to be used by married couples and married couples alone. We've seen this very point emphasized very strongly by Pope Pius XI, who said, the primary end of marriage is a procreation education of children. The duty entrusted to parents is of such high dignity and of such great importance that every use of the great creative power is the right and privilege of married people alone. It must be confined absolutely within the sacred limits of the state of marriage. We've seen that to the degree we clearly see and understand this idea that every use of this great power is the right and privilege of married people alone. To the very degree we see and clearly understand that, 
idea and the reasons behind it, to that very degree we'll be able to see clearly and understand and defend the entire teaching of the Holy Catholic Church with regards to the Sixth and Ninth Commandments. We see for the unmarried passionate kissing is mortally sinful simply because the unmarried do not have the right to deliberately stir up those type of passions, whether by thought, word, or deed. Those passions, those delights, those pleasures are reserved strictly for the married and no one else. And once we understand that, it's obvious what other kind of behaviors are wrong. We've seen the fundamental principle that all pleasure outside marriage that is associated with the great creative power, all that type of pleasure that is directly well desired, intentionally procured or permitted, is a mortal sin. Therefore, it is mortally sinful for the unmarried to think, say, or do anything with the intention of arousing even the smallest degree of this type of pleasure, and that practically means if this sort of pleasure has arisen and there was no intention and no consent, there's no sin, there's no intention and some consent, it's venial sin, there's no intention and full consent, it's mortal sin, if there's direct intention, it's mortal sin. Let's close. How high are the stakes in this battle? There's some points to ponder. St. Alphonsus says, quote, Sins against the Sixth and Ninth Commandments are by far the most common matters in confessions and are the sins which fill hell with souls. Since these are the most frequent and most abundant confessional matters, and on account of which the greater number of souls fall into hell, indeed, I do not hesitate to assert that all those who are damned are damned on account of this one vice of impurity or at least not without it close quote St. Alphonsus Bishop and Doctor of the Church second on July 13, 1917 Our Lady showed the three children of Fatima a terrifying vision she opened her hands and the ground vanished and they found themselves on the brink of a sea of fire. And the sea of fire was filled with huge numbers of devils which looked like horrible black animals that filled the air with horrible shrieks. There are also unbelievable numbers of damned souls tumbling about constantly in the flames and screaming in terror and agony. And there were souls falling into hell just tumbling in like snowflakes in a snowstorm. And Blessed Jacinta said that Our Lady revealed that more souls go to hell because of the sins of the flesh than for any other reason. Sins of the flesh. Sins of the flesh. Isn't that the very warning that St. Paul gave us in today's epistle? If you live according to the flesh, you shall die. But if by the Spirit you mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.